You turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The title of our message is The Gospel, an Anchor for the Soul. The Gospel, an Anchor for the Soul. An anchor serves a vital function on a ship. It will keep the ship from drifting away when it is at port or in shallow waters at sea. Strong winds and currents will try to move the vessel off course, but a strong chain and anchor system will keep this, the vessel tethered. For proper anchoring of a ship, however, you need these three things. You need a long enough chain that can rest on the ocean floor, the right style of anchor, and the right type of soil. You want the anchor to dig into the soil so that it doesn't get loose easily when the ship tugs on the chain. And, and sandy and muddy soils are good for that, while rocky soil and roots may give you a false security. The anchor may hold temporarily, but then let go in severe conditions. Now, why am I telling you all this? Uh, I doubt any of you are going to get a job on the high seas uh, anytime soon or where you might need this information. But we all need an anchor for our souls that will hold in the storms of life as well as when things are going smoothly in our Christian walk. You say, really? Smoothly? Even when things are going well? Yes. Yes. You see, the anchor doesn't just keep the ship from drifting in turbulent waters, but also in smooth, calm waters. Because by degrees, a ship can drift ever so slightly from its intended haven that over a period of time, it can be many degrees, of course. Last year, uh, Cynthia and I were upstate New York, and uh, we were uh, in this pontoon uh, sailboat. Uh, so she and I went out uh, on this boat uh, a distance from shore, and after a while, we just uh, released the tension on the, on the mast so that the wind doesn't keep pushing the, the, the boat. And we just relaxed and chilled there for a while. It was a, a nice balmy day, as you would say, sunny, nice breeze. And we just sat relaxed and uh, waited. Well, 20, 30 minutes later, as we decided, okay, we're going to head back to shore, where we looked where we were. And so when we first went out, we went directly across from the shore where we were going to dock. By the time we were ready to come back, we were all the way over here. And we looked back, and so we had to come diagonally instead of a straight course, just from sitting in the water. And this is a lake, so you can imagine in an ocean how much a big ship, big vessel will drift off course. And this is in calm waters. The spiritual lesson there is no one uh, ever apostatizes by embracing erroneous doc doctrine or fall into a grievous sin overnight. It usually happens by degrees. 
A little compromise of worldly ideology, a little tolerance of worldly entertainment, a little fascination with bad theology, and before long, you find yourself in a place you would not imagine yourself to be. Today, we're going to get some solid anchors for our souls as we look at the first couple of chapters of Colossians, which if we take hold of them, will keep us on course in our Christian walk. This is for everyone, whether you are just about to be baptized as our sister and brother are going to be momentarily, or if, you've been, if you're a veteran and been in a Christian life for a long time. We all need to anchor our souls daily in these solid truths to keep us from drifting away. Now, just uh, before I, we get into this, the, the actual sermon itself, let me just give you a brief overview for the purpose which Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. Uh, this, this is one of the four prison epistles that Paul wrote. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. Paul had not met these believers, but has heard about them through Epaphras, uh, who is believed to be the one who founded the church in Colossae. And was currently, Epaphras was currently with Paul as he was Paul was writing this letter. He has heard about how, how they received the gospel, how they received uh, the gospel and were manifesting the fruit of the gospel in their lives through love for the saints. It was evident that they had been changed, that they had been transformed. And so Paul writes to encourage them and he says, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for what God has done for your life and I'm praying for you. So he, he writes to encourage them, to let them know he's praying for them. Secondly, he's writing to expose the false teachers who, had, who were trying to shake the believers off their foundation of faith in Christ by telling them that if, if they wanted to grow in their faith, they needed to get deeper spirituality through some mystical secret knowledge. And they can get this by following their teaching, these false teachers. Paul calls this human philosophy. In our day, this would be a new age spirituality and mysticism, having a connection with the higher power or being in order to find peace and purpose in life by becoming one with God. This was what was being promised to these believers. Listen, you need to get deeper more spiritual, and here's how you do it. You need this secret knowledge. Well, we will hear from our brother Michael and his testimony. He was very deep into that. He taught this kind of stuff, as he will tell us more in his testimony. And in the Christian charismatic world, this would be the word of faith movement, where you can use words to manipulate the faith force in order to get health and wealth and essentially making yourself to be a little God. You could speak things into being, just like God spoke things into being. While some other false teachers who were of Jewish, Jewish origin were trying to bring them back under the Mosaic law by telling them that faith in Christ wasn't enough. They also needed to keep the Jewish traditions 
like keeping new moons and festivals and Sabbaths and circumcision and asceticism practices, which Paul tells them that all these things were a shadow that were fulfilled in Christ. To combat these errors, Paul shows them the, uh, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ in both securing our salvation and empowering us to live the Christian life, which makes this letter to the Colossians to be the most Christocentric letters of all of Paul's writing. Christocentric is just what brother says, a $5 word just to mean Christ-centered, right? It's the most Christ-centered of all of his writing. So I put these truths that Paul wants the Colossian believers to anchor their souls on under these three headings, and you find them in your outline. One is they need to know, and we need to know, the first anchor, this is a, a three-prong anchor. Now, you know, if, if, you, you, if you look up on, online, right, you, you look up anchors at sea, there's a whole slew of them. You know, we only see the one that's shaped like this with the two prongs, and, but there's a whole slew of them depending on the soil and all those things. Well, anyway, this is a three-pronged anchor. Know that Christ is all you need, number one. Two, never forget the transforming grace of God in your life. Three, be assured that the one who began this work in you is faithful and will bring it to completion. If you anchor your soul in these three things, you'll, you'll be like that happy ship that is sitting firmly anchored with its chain resting comfortably on the seabed and is ready to withstand any kind of storm. So before we just look at these, let me just say a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come in faith, Lord, looking to you by your grace and power, Lord, to supply us with your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word aright, that we may respond in faith and obedience, and that you would be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at these in turn. The first one is know that Christ is all you need. Know that Christ is all you need. The gospel begins with God choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world and then sending his son, our glorious savior, into the world to accomplish God's plan for our redemption. In verses one of chapter one, verses 15 and 17, Paul shows that the glory of Christ as the eternal son of God who existed before all things, and through whom all things were made. So remember, what we're looking at, the first point is to see the supremacy and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me at verses, at verses um, one, chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Uh, just as a spoiler alert, we're going to be looking at a number of past verses in chapters 1 and 3. So, I hope that you will not tire of that, but it, it's, it's, it's got a purpose. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Speaking of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
where the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The first thing that Paul wants to see, wants the believers to see is that Christ is the source of all life and power, goodness, wisdom, and he communicates that to his creation. All things were created through him and for him, and they hold together by him. In other words, without Christ, this creation would not exist, for one. It would not be here because He's the one that created it. Secondly, it could not keep existing if He doesn't sustain it. So your very breath, my very breath, right this moment, comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And apart from Him giving us that breath, we would die. As well as every living thing on this planet, because it says He sustains all things by the word of His power. Now friend, you don't see that. But it is happening. You don't see gravity, but it is happening, or else you fall through. No, it is working. Christ is working right now, sustaining every one of us. He's the one that's making that sun to shine by His power. That sun would cease to shine apart from Jesus Christ. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. So he's the source of life, power, goodness, and wisdom. And he communicates that to all of his creation. A couple of more verses to show the supremacy of Christ. Colossians 1.19 For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.3 In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, there's a purpose why Paul is bringing those things out. Remember, what are those false teachers doing? Oh, you need more wisdom. No, he says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You do not need more wisdom because you have that in Christ Jesus. He is sufficient. And verse 9, he says, uh, uh, for in him dwells uh, deity. All of deity dwells in him bodily. He is fully God, and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. As I said, the Colossian, the, these false teachers were telling them uh, that they need to have this deeper knowledge. Philosophy, the word philosophy in the Greek means philosophias. Philosophias, which means love of wisdom. You need to have this new uh, understanding, this new knowledge. Paul says, in Christ, the wisdom, the Sophias, you need are all in Him. He is the treasure house of wisdom. You'll never run out. The more you dig, the more you find. Today, we are told that if you want to be more spiritual, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you can gain this higher knowledge, speak in tongues, prophesy, work miracles, you'll have divine power. This is what we're told. But here is the point that Paul wants us to see. We cannot miss this. This is very important. As creation shows the glory of the triune God and His goodness, wisdom, mercy, and power, 
which are communicated through Christ, who upholds all things by the word of his power, in the same way the new creation, that's you and I, who are in Christ, demonstrates his grace, mercy, light, life, power, love, and for the purpose of revealing his glory. These things are communicated to us through Christ, who is the head of the church, the body. He's communicating these things to us as our prophet, priest, and king for our preservation and edification. Some of these thoughts come from John Owen in his book, The Glory of Christ. So believer, your life is a demonstration of Christ living in you. His power, His mercy, His grace, His light shines through you. And you have the wisdom of Christ because of the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. You don't need additional wisdom. You don't need this second work of the Holy Spirit because you have the Spirit of Christ in you. 1 Corinthians 2.10, I'll just, you don't have to turn there, just real quick. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the, pers- the person's thoughts except the Spirit that pers- of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, here's the point. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is of, from God, that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. So, if you are born of God, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You don't need another work of the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of God because Christ is the wisdom of God and He is in you. You do not need another work of the Holy Spirit but He is already dwelling in you and revealing Christ to you. So, that's why Paul says, he says, let no one delude you with plausible arguments. 2.3, he says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. In other words, listen, you are complete in Christ. Don't let anyone fool you. Don't want come along and say, oh, no, no, you, you need more. You, faith in Christ isn't sufficient. You need more of the Spirit. You need more knowledge. You need more wisdom. No. It's you've been given all that by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So the first point, First truth that we are to anchor our souls on is to know that Christ is all-sufficient. The second truth is this. Never forget that you are where you are today because of God's transforming grace. Never forget the transforming grace of God in your life. Whether you grew up in a Christian home and by the world's standards you are considered a good kid, or whether you lived a sinful lifestyle, what God did for you in Christ is still a miracle. It's a miracle. Paul reminds the Colossians of of their former condition to show them the amazing grace of God. We can never forget that. You see, sometimes you wonder, am I saved? Am I not saved? Well, listen, how are you here even now? How did you get here now? How is it that you're reading your Bible now when you didn't care for the things of God before? God has done an amazing work in your life. 
And so we're going to see in these three ways what God has done in them and in each one of us. One, you and I were enslaved to the prince of darkness with no power to deliver ourselves. Look with me at verses chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. The word there, dominion or domain, that He has transferred us from the domain of darkness. That word is also trans, can be also translated as authority, control, dominion, power, jurisdiction. We were enslaved under Satan's authority and power and could not deliver ourselves. As we will see in a moment, if you are apart from Christ, you are a slave. You are a slave. You know, uh, you know that song, some of you are too, old, uh, too young for that, right? Bob Dylan's song, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. You're either serving the Lord or you're certain serving Satan. That's the song. You could look it up back in some time long ago. <laughs> Showing my age. But you got to serve some. Everybody is somebody's slave. Well, you say, I'm no slave. I'm my own guy. I'm my own gal. I do what I want. No, you don't. No, you don't. You are enslaved. You're serving yourself, your lust and the devil, or you're serving Christ. There's no third way. It's one or the other. We were enslaved under Satan's authority and power and could not deliver ourselves. But look, look at what God had done. What an amazing, infinite grace. It says He transformed us. He removed us. He emancipated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And now... We serve a new king who has set us free and gave us life and liberty. Hallelujah. He came and as a warrior came into this kingdom of darkness and he came and he laid hold of us and he pulled us out of that kingdom from this authoritative uh, evil king, Satan himself, and he set us free. Set us free. In the second place, we were not only in the kingdom of darkness and were enslaved to Satan, but we were also enemies of God and in rebellion against God. Look with me at verse 21, chapter 1, verse 21. And you once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. We were alienated, or that is we were estranged from God. And hostile, that is in opposition. In opposition. We hated God. You may say, well, I don't hate God. Yes, you do. You do because you don't love Him either. If you, want, if you had a choice to serve God or serve your lust, who are you going to serve? Your lust. Be assured of that. You either love God or you hate God. There's no in-between. Well, I don't really hate... Yes, you do. There is no in-between. You are hostile in, in opposition to God. You're at enmity with God. That was your condition and my condition, you who are in Christ. Here's what God did for us. Listen, look verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach. What does reconciliation do? When two enemy, when two people are at odds against each other, when they're reconciled is that they come together. They're now one. This is what God has done. He's removed the hostility. He's removed the enmity. And by how? By dying on the cross. And now we stand holy and blameless and above reproach. This, brethren, is amazing grace. Amazing grace. God took the heart of enmity and He put in us a heart of love and devotion and obedience. There is nothing you and I did to earn this. How could we when we hated God and loved darkness? Absolutely nothing. That was God's doing in our lives. Thirdly, we were not only in darkness and rebellion against God, but we were spiritually dead. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. A corpse... A corpse can do nothing to make himself or herself alive. In the same way, being spiritually dead, we cannot revive ourselves. Absolutely impossible. But God is in in His infinite mercy. He came and and He did uh, uh, resuscitation. He revived us. He put that machine on us and He jolted us with a million power of grace. And He revived us by His power and made us alive. You could see this in chapter in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. What God did, He did spiritual heart surgery. He did spiritual uh, uh, transformation, circumcision of the heart. He took out the heart that was in us, that was rebellious against God, and He put in us a heart, a new heart, that loves God and desires to please God. He raised us from the dead by His mighty power. Now, in verse 12, we see a reference to baptism. See, just just to let you in, this is the verse that drew me to this passage. So I was focused on this verse. But I started digging into it, and I started seeing all how everything, what Paul was trying to get across. I was like, well, I can't just preach on that. I need to preach on the whole thing. So that's how we wound up with this message. So, verse 12 is a reference to baptism. And what it symbolizes. It symbolizes our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In a few moments, our sister and brother will be coming in. And they're going to be going. And you're probably wondering, where is the tank? Where is the bath? Well, it's right there, right? It's right there. And it's nice, warm, uh, freezing, no, I mean warm water. (laughs) Brother Jay, who's not here right now, made sure of that. And so they go in, and then they're going to get dunked into the water and then brought back again. What is the significance of that? This seems so barbaric. Why are we doing this? Because 
there's a reason behind it. It's a picture. A picture, like they say, is worth a thousand words. And that picture is to show that there has been a death and a resurrection. A death and a resurrection and a washing. They go in dry and they come out wet. They've been washed. Now, nothing happens in that water. There's no supernatural. That's not holy water, right? Uh, we did not sprinkle or pass some kind of magic dust over that. No, no, it's the same water, Wayne City water, you know, right from the tab. Just heat it up. That's all. There's nothing there. That's it. What? But what has happened is what the change of heart they've experienced prior to being in that water. The water doesn't change your heart. The water just makes you wetter. But it signifies that you died to yourself. You died to the world. You died to sin. And you are alive unto God now. You are a new creature in Christ. Jesus calls it the second birth. And that is what they're testifying. is to testify Jesus has killed me and raised me up anew. And that's what they are testifying in that water. It's a visual representation of what has taken place in our hearts, in your heart, Daniela, in your heart, Michael. And the reason they are doing this in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, those who believe must be baptized. This is Christ's command. These are one of the two things that Christ commanded His church, one of the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate every Sunday, usually other than this Sunday. But these are the two ordinances that Christ gave to his church to remember him and to show forth his grace and power in our lives. Uh, So if you have come to faith in Christ and haven't been baptized as a believer, then you need to testify to the work of God in your life through the waters of baptism. You need to come and talk to us afterwards. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you believe God has changed your heart, you need to come and testify through the waters of baptism. And see us, and we'll be glad to speak with you. Now, let me take a moment to address those of you who are not in Christ. Uh, That is, you have not been born again. So please give me your attention just for a couple of moments, because it's important, right? This is extremely important. This threefold description of our former life or former condition, those of us who are in Christ, currently describes you. You are still in the kingdom of darkness, enslaved to Satan, living in opposition to God as his enemy and spiritually dead. You may not think that of yourself, but this is God's description of you. And every one of us before God changed us. This is a description of every human being that's born on the face of the planet. They're dead in their trespasses and sin, enslaved to Satan, and they are in the kingdom of darkness. This is who we are by nature, rebels against God. You might tell yourself that your problem is intellectual. Oh no, I have an intellectual problem. You know, I just can't, I can't, I can't. Uh, uh, reconcile how God does this and how he did that and it just, it just doesn't fit into my, my understanding. Uh, the Bible doesn't make sense. Well, that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. 
so that you will not come to Christ to receive forgiveness and pardon to be changed. And if you continue in this state of rebellion against God, you will face His wrath and judgment for all eternity and the lake of fire where Satan will be cast when Christ returns. And the only way to escape that judgment is not to try to be a better person. No, you can't. No, you need a spiritual deliverance, a transformation which only Christ can do in your life. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave of sin, but when the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Christ is the only one that can set you free. No one else can do it for you. Not your parents, not your pastor or priest, not uh, not anyone else can do that for you. You need to come to Christ. He alone can set you free. Christ came to set the captives free. He came to bind a strong man in your life and to give you liberty. Whatever that sin that's, that's controlling you, what is that sin that's keeping you from Jesus Christ? He came to set that, that, that sin, to capture that sin, to deliver you from under the dominion of Satan. Would you open your heart to receive Him today and experience His forgiveness and joy and everlasting life? Don't put it off thinking, well, I have another day. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, by and by, I'm still young. I have a life to live. There is no guarantee that any of us are going to live another day. Today is the day of salvation. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, convincing you of your sin, call on the Lord right now where you are in your heart. God sees. We don't, it's not what we see, it's what God sees. Receive Christ, believe on Christ, repent of your sin, and he, you have this promise. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a sure promise. You can bank on that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you've hardened your heart. You've heard this message a million times over. And you continue to hear it. And you will not obey. You will not soften your heart. The Scripture says that whosoever, whoever is rebuked and hardens his neck will come suddenly to destruction and not without remedy. Call on the Lord before it is too late. God has brought you here today for a purpose so that you might hear the gospel and be saved. So the first truth that we are to anchor our souls on is to know that Christ is all sufficient. Secondly, never to forget the transforming grace of God in our lives. Thirdly, be assured that the one who began this work in you is faithful and he will bring it to completion. Trials and difficulties will come. But those are no obstacles for the Lord. He will use them for your good. Keep your eyes on Christ, your good shepherd. He will see you through. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul tells them, in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. How can, be, how can he be so certain? But Paul, how can you be so certain? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I fall into sin and so on? What happens then? Paul says, I know who called you. And he's faithful. And he's going to finish the work. He doesn't start a work and leave you halfway. He doesn't begin the work and leave you to finish it. He will finish it himself. He is a faithful Savior. So that's why Paul can be certain. In Colossians 3, 1 and 4, 1 to 4, Paul says to them, he says, Set your, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He said, set your mind on heavenly things because that is where your destination is. And he, it is only a matter of time when Christ appears and you will be caught up together with Him in the air and you will be glorified with Him. That's a certainty. So the one who began a good work in you will complete it. A couple of points of application. One, live in the reality of your union with Christ. Live in the reality of your union with Christ. As a new creation in Christ, you now have an inseparable union with Him. The life, your life and, and my life are bound up with His. He lives in you and you in Him. Paul says, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Uh, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Well, Paul, who is living? Is it you or Christ? He says, both. Both. We're inseparable. We are inseparable. I live, He lives in me. I die, but I'm alive in Him. Your old person died and was buried with Him, and as, a, as He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, never to die again, you too were raised from, from your spiritual deadness, and one day when Christ returns, you and I will be raised up from the dead and be forever with the Lord. So stay anchored to Christ. Stay anchored to Christ. Paul says in verses, look with me at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 2, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as, see, I made it easy for you. You don't, have to turn, you don't even have to turn the page. You just have to look over to the other side. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul uses an analogy of a tree, an analogy of a building. The tree, if it's not rooted, it, what, what happens when a big storm comes? You see some of these trees that are knocked over and the roots are out because it wasn't well rooted. And a building, what happens on a building if it's not on its foundation, if it's not properly anchored to its foundation? When an earthquake happens, what's going to happen? It's going to go right over. He says, stay rooted and anchored in Christ. As it, and so, He's all we need. All the grace, all the mercy, all the truth, all the goodness, all the righteousness, all the power, all the wisdom are found in Him, and we are complete in Him. You don't need any secret hidden knowledge or the second work of the Spirit. Everything you need is found in Him. Just... 
First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's one of my favorite verses. Here's what it says. All and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Is there anything left? What do you need? Wisdom? It's found in him. Redemption? Found in him. Sanctification? Found in him. Everything. Righteousness? Found in him. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, as you receive Christ, walk also in him. By faith, for your justification, you don't need to turn to works for your sanctification because it's found in him. He's both. That is why Paul says, as you received him, walk in him. You don't receive him here and decide to walk alone separate from him. He's to be your companion throughout life. You don't start in faith and continue in works. Oh yes, Satan will try to shake you off that foundation by telling you what a colossal failure you are. Or he will, he, he will work through individuals to mock or intimidate or threaten you in order to shake you off of that foundation. Shake you off your roots. That's what he's going to try to do. But know where that is coming from. It is Satan. It is Satan. When you lose your temper again, when you're given into that lustful thought again, when you fail, you failed your Savior again, the tendency is to do one of those two things. One is either to despair with a sense of guilt and shame, or to say to yourself, I have to try harder and do better. Those are the two tendencies, right? Despair or self-resolution. i got to do better. i got to do it in my strength. But, but let me tell you, neither of those two are the right response to failure. When you came to Christ in the, at, at first, did you make yourself better? Or did you, did you come in repentance and faith and said, Lord, I'm a mess. Please change me. You alone can do this, Lord. Did you not do that? Or did you try to get better and then come to Christ? No, you came to Christ and say, Lord, you change me because I can't change myself. Well, we now come to the same way in repentance and faith and say, Lord, I messed up again. Please change me. Amen? Now, this, I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say, oh, Pastor Eli is giving me liberty to sin. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not giving you no license to sin here because if you have a new heart, you're going to love righteousness. You see, you're not going to want to sin. I'm not talking about habitual sin, where you're going out there to find sin. That was the old self that died. If that self is still alive and you're still running after sin, you are not saved. I'm talking about occasional fall into sin, when you're not, you're not guarded, you're not careful, you're not watchful, you're not alert for the devil and the temptation in the world and the lust in your own heart. That's the kind of sin I'm talking about. Not giving yourself and running after sin like you did when you were back in the world. That man or that woman better have died and buried in the tomb of Jesus Christ. Or else you have not been born again. Don't get any ideas that Pastor Eli has given us a license to sin. The second point of application is really just a continuation of the first. Overcome sin in the power and strength of Christ. Paul prays for the Colossian believers in chapter 1, verse 19, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, 
he bearing fruit of righteousness and good works, and to endure trials with patience and joy and be filled with thanksgiving. That's his prayer for them, right? But notice with me where they are to be to find that strength to fulfill that. How are they going to find that strength? Look with me at verse uh, 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Where did that power come from? Christ. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Not your glorious might, His glorious might. It is His might and power that is working in us, enabling us to live the life fully pleasing to Him. Because at every moment there is a a life, power, goodness, wisdom, grace that comes to us from the Father through the Son applied by the Holy Spirit to help us persevere unto the end to the glory of the triune God. It is through His strength and power that we will be able to fulfill those imperatives that we find in chapter 3. Chapter 3, look with me in chapter 3. Now you may have to turn the page. Put, uh, chapter 3 is, Paul says, okay, here are the indicatives. Now here are the imperatives. Now as a result of this, Colossians, here's how you ought to live. First, you need to, you need to put off the old man Two, you need to put on the new man in Christ. Put off and put on. What are you to put off? Look, verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Verse 9. Being, seeing that you have put off the old Self with its practices. How are you going to do that? You're going to stop. Well, I, I'm determined I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. I'm determined I'm not going to lust anymore. I'm determined I'm never going to say another lie. We'll see how long that lasts. Come back in a week and tell me. How successful were you? Jot down. Take note. How many times did you lose your temper or at least felt angry in your heart? Right? That's what the Lord is saying. Or, or, or sinned in, in, in so many different ways. You and I cannot determine to do anything apart from the Holy Spirit working in us. We need Christ's power enabling us to overcome these things. And then we are to put on. We're not only to mortify, to put to death those things, we are to, all those things that he mentioned, but we're to put on, look with me, verses 12 and 13. Put on... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Are you going to get up one morning and say, okay, from now on, I'm going to be a humble person. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be compassionate. That's it. I'm determined to do it. Again, how long is that going to last? Maybe an hour, two, three. No, it's not going to last. We need to be daily. Sanctification is a process. The putting off and the putting on is a process that God has to work in you through Christ. 
You're going to fail and you're going to say, Lord, here, here I am again. I failed, Lord. I need your grace. Please take away this angry spirit. Lord, just take away this lustful spirit. Lord, take away this, this malicious spirit. Lord, this envious spirit, this proud spirit. Lord, form Christ in me. And he's promised to do that. He's promised to do that. So, let me just close. Daniela and Michael, you're about to join this incredible family, a supernatural family, one made up of blood-bought children of Jesus Christ. United together in Christ, and we will walk together in this amazing journey to the eternal city of God with Christ as our Redeemer, Shepherd, and Friend. And for those of you who don't know this shepherd, I pray today will be the day that you will come to know him as your Savior and join this eternal community of Jesus' followers. Amen. Let's pray.